0: As an OBGYN and podcast host, I'm excited to share a resource that empowers mothers and mothers-to-be in managing their pelvic floor and core health. It's called Informed Pregnancy Plus, and it offers access to essential workshops that can significantly enhance your understanding and care of your body during and after pregnancy. Discover the Core Connection, a foundational five-episode series by Natalie Headings, a pre-postnatal exercise specialist. This series covers the basics of pelvic floor health, teaches key postural adjustments, and shows you how to activate your core properly. For a more comprehensive experience, check out Mindful Movement. This premium series provides in-depth content, including practical exercises and personalized strategies to strengthen your body. It's like having a pelvic health expert in your home. You can try the full subscription streaming library of Informed Pregnancy Plus absolutely free. Visit informedpregnancy.tv to start an empowered journey toward a healthier motherhood. Take this step for your health. Your body and your baby will thank you. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician-approved skin protectant, free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide. It was developed by a mom who is also a doctor when she couldn't find any traditional products that worked for her baby's persistent diaper rash. Diaper rash can be one of the worst experiences your little one has to go through and keeping their delicate skin happy and healthy shouldn't require a spatula to apply thick, goopy treatments that can be just as irritating and uncomfortable as the diaper rash itself. Use just a small amount of Dr. Mom Butt Balm to help soothe your baby's skin and feel good about making the right choice. Dr. Mom is committed to providing an ultra premium formula for moms who will not settle when it comes to their little ones. Help your baby feel better and get relief from irritating diaper rash with simple quality ingredients, no artificial dyes or preservatives, so it's gentle on your baby's delicate skin. Head to amazon.com or walmart.com to grab Dr. Mom Butt Balm because nothing comes between you and your baby, especially not diaper rash. This is a birth story episode and warning, this is a tough one. Welcome to the All About Pregnancy and Birth podcast. I'm Dr. Nicole Calloway-Rankins, a board-certified OBGYN who's been in practice for nearly 15 years. I've had the privilege of helping over 1,000 babies into this world, and I'm here to help you be calm, confident, and empowered to have a beautiful pregnancy and birth. Quick note, this podcast is for educational purposes only, and is not a substitute for medical advice. Check out the full disclaimer at drnicolerankins.com forward slash disclaimer. Now let's get to it. Hello there. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. This is episode number 130. Thank you for spending some of your time with me today. On today's episode of the podcast, we have Hannah. Hannah has been happily married to her husband, John. For two and a half years, they welcomed their beautiful son, Oleander, in February of this year. And we're going to hear about that birth story in the episode. She works as a registered nurse in the medical ICU. And in their free time, they enjoy hiking with their two dogs, Daisy and Nora. They also enjoy going camping, watching baseball, and playing card games together. Hannah had an uncomplicated pregnancy and a mostly straightforward birth. However, she experienced several postpartum issues that included multiple visits to the emergency department, multiple hospitalizations, and she ultimately underwent a hysterectomy about a month after she gave birth and a hysterectomy is removing the uterus. This was from a life-threatening infection called group A streptococcus. This is a difficult story to hear. And at the time we recorded this, we recorded it back in April, actually, this was still pretty raw for Hannah. And I really appreciate her taking the time to share this story. And in sharing her story, I don't wanna frighten you, I just want you to be aware knowledge is power. And that is what this podcast and really all of my work is about empowering you with knowledge. And you need to hear about this story and this rare, but potentially life threatening complication that can happen after pregnancy. So let's get into this birth story episode with Hannah. Thank you so much, Hannah, for agreeing to come on To the podcast. Uh, I am grateful that you are sharing your story today.
1: Thank you. I'm happy to be here.
0: All right. So why don't you start off by telling us a bit about yourself, work if you'd like, and your family.
1: Yeah. So my name is Hannah. I live in a suburb of Minneapolis, Minnesota uh, with my wonderful husband, John. We've been married for about two and a half years now. And in February, we celebrated the birth of our baby boy, Oleander. Um, followed by quite a few complications, but everyone is home and healthy now, Uh, so we are happy to be here. I love that
0: name. Is that a family name?
1: It is not a family name. Um, It was the only boy name that me and my husband both enjoyed, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) so it was the name that we ended up choosing.
0: Well, there you go. There you go. All right. So, In order to understand what happens with the birth, I think it's always important to take a step back and talk about the pregnancy first. So what was your pregnancy and prenatal care like?
1: Yeah, so I had a very normal pregnancy. Um, We didn't have any health concerns or complications. Uh, Mom and baby were healthy throughout. Um, However, I am a nurse that works in an ICU. And last March, we were told, Congratulations, you are now the COVID ICU. Oh, okay. Okay. Very little choice, um, which was terrifying because me and my husband were trying to conceive at that time. Sure. Uh, So we took some time off just because with all the unknowns with COVID, we didn't want to start a pregnancy um, and regret me being pregnant and working in the environment that I did. Right. Um, But after... A couple months we decided that we felt like we would be safe to try and have a baby again. Uh, So in June, we found out we were pregnant, and that was very exciting. Uh, However, I did have to continue working with all of the COVID patients, uh, which was terrifying. And then in January, we were made, or the vaccine was made available to us. So it was a lot of conversations with my OB team about whether I should get it or not. And with my high exposure risk, they decided that mm-hmm. it would probably be best for me to get it. Um, so I did get the vaccine when I first vaccine when I was 32 weeks pregnant. Okay. Um, which was scary, but exciting at the same sure. time. Um, sure. But no complications from that.
0: Good, 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 good. Now, did you. I can't even imagine what that must have been like for you. Did you feel like the hospital supported you in terms of, and this is like not related to birth, I'm just curious, supported you in terms of having the appropriate PPE, like the personal protective equipment?
1: Uh, like most healthcare workers, I would say no. Mm-hmm. We had to reuse a 95 mask frequently yep. and working in the ICU, all of our patients were creating airborne particles. Sure. So it was quite scary. I can only imagine. Uh, especially reusing... What wet, dirty mask repeatedly. Uh, but a lot of my fellow RNs were really great. And if we were able to give me a non COVID assignment, they would switch patients with me. Uh, so that way I wouldn't have to take care of those patients to try and limit my exposure.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. And to your knowledge, did you ever contract COVID during your pregnancy?
1: No, I only had sim- cold, flu, COVID like symptoms once and I tested negative. Uh, so Unknown if I did get it or not, but not symptomatic. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, good,
0: good, good. And I'm sure your hand washing and hygiene was next level for sure.
1: Yes, Very, very careful. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So what did you do to prepare for your birth?
1: Uh, I listened to every episode of your podcast Aww. that was <laughs> that was released throughout my pregnancy. Uh, my nightly routine was taking a bath and sing and listening to one of your podcasts Aww. to try and relax and try and prepare at the same right. time. Um, I read a couple books the classic, What to Expect When You're Expecting, mm-hmm. and a couple others that were recommended by some of my coworkers. And me and my husband did an online course through the hospital that we delivered at um, to try and prepare for labor and delivery.
0: Got it. Got it. So what are some things that you wanted for your birth?
1: Um, first and foremost was a healthy baby. Sure. Um, we had previously suffered a miscarriage. And so there was a lot of anxiety throughout the pregnancy about getting a full healthy or full term healthy baby. Right. Uh, Regarding pain management, uh-huh. I was really flexible. Um, I had pretty confidently said I will use whatever I feel like I need in the moment, um, but was open to having an epidural. Was open to other forms of pain management. Uh, didn't really have any preferences besides using what I felt like I needed in the moment.
0: Got it. Got it. Got it. And. Did you have to deliver at the hospital where you worked?
1: I did deliver at the hospital I worked at. Um, The health insurance that I have through my work um, requires you to deliver at the hospital that I worked at.
0: Yeah, that happens a lot for, for nurses and folks who are employed by the hospital. You do have some restrictions in terms of where you can give give birth sometimes that comes as a little bit of a shock to folks
1: yeah but it was really nice the mother baby unit was very separate from the rest of the hospital so it wasn't like I was interacting with a lot of people I interact with on a daily basis at the when I'm at work got it got it good good
0: good so let's talk about what was your labor and birth like
1: so leading up to labor and birth uh-huh. I had a lot of frustration. I'm not a very patient person <laughs> uh, so I had a very hard time waiting for labor to commence. Right. Uh, we have two dogs and so there was lots of dog walking that occurred in those two weeks before right. I went into labor uh, so I had been having uh, contractions very get kind of regular, like every 10 minutes apart, uh, leading up to when I went into actual labor, but it would just be for like an hour or two at a time and then they would go away. Uh, but then I went to an appointment with my OB. Oh yeah. I forgot to mention that I was seeing uh, a team of OBGYNs. Oh yes. Got it. So I saw multiple um, physicians within the group, but they didn't deliver at the hospital that I delivered at. Oh. So I would see the my clinic, but it would be a laborist that delivers at the hospital I delivered at. Gotcha. So I didn't really care who I saw through my prenatal care because it would not be any of them delivering my baby. Right. Right. Uh, so I went and saw the OB and she asked if I wanted my membrane stripped and I was impatient enough that I said, yes, <laughs> I'll try anything at this point. Right. How many weeks were you at that point? I was, that was 40 weeks. Okay. So you
0: were like, I'm done. This baby needs to be evicted. It's time to get out. Very much so. (laughs) Uh,
1: So uh, I had been having pretty regular contractions that day, but I was only fingertip dilated, Uh, but she did strip my membranes. And then I came home and about an hour after getting home, my contractions were like every five to 10 minutes apart, getting pretty regular, getting more intense. And my husband was working from home at that point. So he kept working and I kind of just walked around the house having contractions, they were very manageable at that point, and became more frequent throughout the afternoon. And by eight o'clock that night, they were every five minutes apart. So we called Obie and they're like, yep, sounds like you're in real labor. Go ahead and come on into the hospital and we'll get you checked out.
0: This episode is sponsored by ByHeart. Byheart is an infant nutrition company built from the ground up to deliver real innovation on behalf of babies and parents. Their mission is simple, make the best formula in the world. Using the latest in breast milk science, Byheart created a clinically proven, easy to digest infant formula that's made with organic grass fed whole milk, certified clean ingredients, and features a patented protein blend that gets closest to breast milk. Their blend includes the most abundant protein found in breast milk, alpha-lac, as well as lactoferrin, the number one protein found in colostrum. In addition to its patented protein blend, their formula includes prebiotics and an 80-20 weight to casein ratio like in early breast milk, which is tailor-made for a newborn's digestive system and makes it an easy to digest formula. Curious about ByHeart? Redeem your welcome offer at BiHeart.com forward slash podcast with code Dr. Nicole for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply. Okay. And let me, before we get into what happens in the hospital, had your doctor, had they talked at all about induction? Had that ever been put on the table?
1: Yeah. So the week before my 40th appointment, so I went in for my 39-week appointment. I had a high blood pressure. Okay. Um, It was like 145 over 90. So I went back the next day and it was normal. So they had talked about induction when my blood pressure was high, but then it came back normal the next time. So there wasn't any further talks about induction at that point.
0: Okay. Even at your 40-week check, they didn't say? That's just unusual that they didn't mention induction there either. Uh,
1: My 40-week appointment... They said they'd see me next week, or we scheduled an appointment for the next week, and they would induce me at that point if they saw me okay. at that appointment. Got it. Okay,
0: okay. So you head to the hospital, and then what happens?
1: Yeah, so we had our two dogs. We dropped them off at my in-laws and drove to the hospital, and it was about a half-hour drive, and it was a pretty long car ride because my contractions are getting significantly more intense at that point. Mm-hmm when i got in i was only three centimeters dilated on arrival but my contractions were at that point every like two to three minutes apart so they hooked me up to the monitors and uh, said we'll give you an hour or two to keep having contractions and we'll see where you at where you are at with your dilation at that point so about two hours later um, they checked me again and i was only four centimeters dilated but my contractions were so close together that they're like, Yeah, we're not sending you home, we're gonna admit you now, right? And my c- contractions were getting quite painful, um, so I was happy when they said they were gonna admit me because that meant I could get, get finally get some pain medication. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they started an IV and they gave me a dose of fentanyl, and I requested to have an epidural at that point, okay? Um, so the fentanyl was able to. Pulled me over until the anesthesiologist was able to get up there and start the epidural. And once he placed it, it was phenomenal. (laughs) (laughs) I was finally able to feel like I could breathe and relax. And my husband is an engineer and he just likes to fix things. If there's a problem, he likes to fix it. Uh So me having contractions was really difficult for him. I can
2: understand that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) He just wanted to fix it. And just helping me through it was really difficult for him. So once I got the epidural, he was finally able to relax. And at that point, it was after midnight. And he had worked all day that day. And then we went to a hospital. So he was exhausted. Right. So he was able to take a nap while I was resting. Gotcha. Gotcha.
0: And then how did your labor progress after that?
1: Yeah. So after I got the epidural, I was able to relax and It was about two hours later, all of a sudden, the left side of my face started drooping. Mm. My eye, I felt like my eyelid was drooping. My lip was drooping. And the whole left side of my body was just kind of numb. And I felt like I couldn't move it very well. So I called the nurse and I was like, I don't think this is normal. And she's like, yeah, your epidural is not in the right place. We need to get the anesthesiologist back up here. Uh, So he came up and he's like, yeah, it looks like it probably went into your subdural space. Uh so he had to take that one out and put a new one in. Okay. At this point I was only like six centimeters dilated, so I was like, Yes, I would like another one right. to put back in. Um, so he put another one back in and things were good for about an hour after that, and then I really started feeling my contractions again and they're becoming more and more painful. And it I told the nurse, I was like, you know, I've been giving myself all the bumps on my epidural that I can. I feel like it's just not working anymore and she's like okay well we'll get the anesthesiologist back up here and see what he thinks about it and he came up and he's like well I could put another one back in and the nurse is like well before we do that like let's just check and see where you are at um dilation wise Mm -hmm. and she's like oh you're at nine. So she did a check and she's like, oh, you're nine centimeters dilated. We're not putting another one back in. You're just going to do this. Okay. <laughs> and I was like, all right, I right, we're going to do this. Right, right. Oh, I forgot to mention, um, before the anesthesiologist got back up there to check the second epidural uh-huh. to see what was going on with it, uh, the physician had come in and recommended or asked, both, I guess, felt like a recommendation, but they did ask if I wanted my bag of water ruptured because it had not broken yet. Okay. And I asked what the risks and benefits were, and they explained those. And I hadn't really been in labor that long at this point because it was only like three o'clock in the morning. Right. So i really only been at the hospital for six or seven hours at that point. So I felt like it's kind of early for them to ask if I wanted that, but they recommended it, so I said sure. So they ruptured my bag of water while right after I'd gotten the second epidural okay. placed, and then after they ruptured my bag of water, my labor progressed very quickly. Gotcha,
0: gotcha. So then you realized you were nine centimeters, and then it was like, "We're you're doing this? This is gonna happen."
1: Yeah. OK, so that was about six o'clock in the morning that they said, you know, you're nine centimeters dilated. We don't have time to put another epidural in. You're just going to finish dilating and push from there. And I had joked with the nurse that came on at the beginning of the night shift and said, you know, I'm going to tell or I'm telling you right now, this baby is going to be a shift change baby. <laughs> I'm just predicting the baby of a nurse. It's going to happen at shift change, and of course, (laughs) at six thirty in the morning, I started pushing, and I was like, "Yep, going to be a shift change baby." So I was fully dilated around six thirty, so I started pushing, and it took a while to really get the hang of pushing. Mm -hmm. It was really hard to coordinate everything, right? So it's probably like fifteen minutes of terrible pushing. Followed by forty five minutes of better coordinated pushing and beautiful healthy baby was born at seven thirty in the morning.
0: Nice, 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 nice. And did you feel? I mean, like, was your epidural working at all, or was it like gone by that point? It was
1: absolutely gone. I don't think the second epidural ever really worked. I think it was just residual coverage from the first one. Gotcha. And once that wore off, the second one was doing nothing.
0: Okay. Okay, but you were able to power through obviously
1: yes yeah yeah so powering through the pushing was tolerable I don't know if it's just from the endorphins and all the hormones and everything um, but I did end up tearing when I was pushing and when they were doing the sutures I think the doctors didn't realize that my epidural wasn't working Mm. because they kind of came in right at the end of my pushing and so the nurse the two nurses that were there knew that my epidural wasn't working but it was still attached and you could see all the equipment there so I think the doctors assumed that I had an epidural that was working
2: right
1: um so when they were doing the stitches that was incredibly more painful than actually delivering the baby uh, which was uh, unfortunate
0: yeah and they didn't add any additional local
1: I think they gave me a little bit of lidocaine injection uh-huh. Uh-huh.
0: but it just wasn't it, yeah it, it just wasn't okay. doing it for me
1: okay
0: okay all right so then let's talk about your postpartum experience because that was truly truly a journey um now i know you were you went home fairly like two days afterwards like standard is that right uh
1: we went home the next morning so he was born at seven thirty in the morning and then on thursday and then on friday morning we discharged about 10 a.m
0: oh so you were like i'm out like i'm going home
1: yeah he passed all of his newborn screenings that morning and so they were like yeah if you guys want to go home like go ahead and go home.
0: Yeah. Especially because of COVID and everything and just like getting out of the hospital. So then things started happening fairly soon postpartum. So what happened with you in the postpartum period?
1: Yeah. So when we went home on Friday morning, I felt kind of overall, like all my muscles felt sore Mm -hmm. and just kind of achy and obviously fatigued. And I just thought it was normal postpartum, not feeling good, just from how much work delivering a baby is. Right. and we got home and we were breastfeeding and breastfeeding was going well and baby was doing well he was sleeping eating all the normal stuff and i went to bed on friday night and i kind of had a couple episodes of chills but i thought it was kind of just leftover hormone Mm -hmm. residual changes because i had a lot of like body shakes and tremors in the very early postpartum period right i just kind of shrugged it off and went to bed that night and then woke up with baby throughout the night but my husband let me have a couple hours of uninterrupted sleep going into the early morning on saturday and when i woke up from that couple hours of sleep i had severe chills uh, just felt like I had a raging fever. So I took my 10th and I had a fever of 102 or something around there.
2: Mm.
1: So I called my OB and was like, hey, like this is what's going on. She's like, yeah, I think you should come into the ER to get checked out. Right. So we'd only been home for like 24 hours at that point. And having to go back to the hospital is kind of scary. We called my in-laws because we didn't want to take the baby with us sure. to the ER. At taking a newborn to the ER just sounded terrifying to me Agree with all the exposure that could happen. My in-laws came over, and they kept the baby, and me and my husband were off to the ER. And there wasn't any obvious infection source. Like, there was no indication of mastitis or any looks of infection with my stitches. So they just kind of assumed that I had endometritis. Okay. And gave me an back to treat me for that. But my discharge looked normal at that point. There wasn't any foul smell or anything. So they decided they were going to put me on IV antibiotics and admit me, which was terrifying because I had a two-day-old baby mm-hmm. at home. Mm-hmm. So I had requested that they put me on the postpartum unit and allow my baby to come in uh, just because we were still trying to establish breastfeeding. Right. And it was scary being admitted to the hospital for being sick and having a baby at home. So they were able to pull some strings and let that happen. There was a lot of issues because with COVID visitation, you had to be over 18 to even come into the hospital. And there was only certain visiting hours, but they were able to put me on the postpartum unit and let my baby stay, which also meant that my husband got to stay too. Well,
2: that's good.
1: Yeah. So they admitted me I got up to the room my husband went home and got the baby and all the stuff that we needed because we weren't really expecting on being admitted mm-hmm. and he got back and then later that evening I passed a chunk of tissue with my discharge and so they assumed that I had retained a piece of my placenta and that caused the endometritis so I had a ultrasound done to make sure there wasn't any more retained tissue mm-hmm. and they didn't see any. So we were admitted for three days that time and got IV antibiotics, And then they sent me home on oral antibiotics, and I was feeling a lot better. Okay. So that was a three-day hospital stay. We discharged Monday morning and we were really excited to get home and just try and establish our new routine as a family. Right. And my mom and sisters live about 12 hour drive away. So they were going to come visit. So I was really excited to see them and let them. Yeah. Spend time with our newborn. Uh, so they came, and it was really nice to have them here to help out. They were really helpful uh, with helping take care of baby and helping take care of stuff around the house. And it was just really nice to be able to visit with them because we didn't gather for Thanksgiving or yeah, Christmas.
0: Absolutely.
1: So we were home for about a week and a half. and My family had visited, and then they went home. And I just wasn't feeling that. Great. I went to a follow-up appointment with my OB a week after discharging and I told her you know I just I feel fatigued I just feel kind of achy and she's like you know that's just normal postpartum your body's recovering you're breastfeeding you aren't sleeping at night like these all just sound like very normal postpartum things to me mm-hmm. so I had finished my oral antibiotics at that point and was at home trying to recover and get into the hang of being a new mom. My husband went back to work. He was off for a week and a half. And then he went back to work. And I just continued to feel worse and worse. I was having a lot of perineal pain. I was having a lot of lower abdominal pain, just really fatigued. And I had been taking stool softener Starting as soon as I had the baby at the hospital and just to help keep my stool soft just because I had a lot of pain in my perineal area with all my stitches and my stool had been normal up until that point and then all of a sudden I was just having severe diarrhea and it was really concerning because of how much diarrhea I was having, I was really dehydrated. Right. I couldn't keep anything down. As soon as I would drink something, I would be running to the bathroom, which was just really abnormal for me. Mm-hmm. And I, was, I just felt terrible. And so I called my OB and I was like, hey, like, I want to come in and see you guys. Like, I feel like something isn't right. So I went in for an appointment, and I was so weak that I couldn't even walk myself into the doctor's office. My husband had to go get a wheelchair and wheel me into the office, which just felt humiliating for me. I'm very independent, and I am colleagues with these people, and I just felt really embarrassed that I was so weak I couldn't even walk myself into a doctor's appointment. So I met with my OB, and she was concerned that I was really dehydrated. So she sent me to the ER for a second time, and I got to the ER and again had to be wheeled in in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. And in triage, it took my vitals, and my blood pressure was like seventy-two over thirty.
0: Oh my god! For those guys, for the listeners, that is very that's very low.
1: Yeah, and it was. When they told me that, they it really was terrifying to me because I knew how bad that was.
0: I was scared to say you're an ICU nurse. You knew. Yeah. What was going through your mind at the time?
1: I was really scared, and then the triage nurse picked up the phone and called back to the stave room. So I was at my hospital that I work at, mm-hmm. and we have. A couple of stay rooms which is where the sickest of the sickest patients go right in the er um to help stabilize them and get them um stabled out before they either go up to the icu or go to a different room. right so she called back to the stay room and kind of gave them a quick rundown hey we have a 24 year old female looks like she's septic we're bringing her back and hearing that i was going back there just scared me because that's where most of my patients come from is the state rooms right so hearing how sick I was was really really terrifying so they wheeled me back there and at this point I was mentally kind of checked out I was so sick that I don't have a whole lot of memories of what was going on. Right. They started an IV. They drew a bunch of labs. They gave me over five liters of fluid. And finally, my blood pressure was starting to come back up a little bit. I was up into like the 90s. Uh, so that was good for them and good for me. And I was feeling a little bit better. So they transferred me out to just a regular ER room to continue giving me IV fluids and wait for test results to come back. So they moved me out to a regular ER room and my husband was like, okay, I haven't eaten yet. I'm going to go get something to eat. So he went out to the cafeteria and not five minutes after he left, all of a sudden my blood pressure tanked again. Mm. I was down into the seventies. I was feeling shaky and weak. And so they took me back to the stay room. The doctor put in a central line because I was going to need vasopressors. Um, Which for me, the central line was kind of the point of crossing a line of you are very sick and something is very wrong.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: So he put a central line in, started me on. I ended up needing two vasopressors on top of all the fluids that I had already gotten. And at this point, everyone was thinking that I had a really bad C. diff infection because I had been on oral antibiotics to treat me for my previous uterine infection
0: okay and with the diarrhea also
1: and with the severe diarrhea Mm -hmm. everything just made sense very well clinically so my husband came back and he was confused because I was in a different room and all of a sudden all this other stuff was happening and all of a sudden I had eight different IV pumps that were running in and that was really scary for him to walk into when I had been downgraded and he left on a good note, um, but then my C diff test came back negative. Okay. So the doctor came in and he was phenomenal. He was like, you know, I don't really know what's going on. We've tested a bunch of stuff, and I just really don't know. So we're going to cover you for any infection that you could possibly have, and we're going to admit you to the ICU and do continue to do our workup on you. Okay. When you get up there.
0: Was this the ER doctor or
1: Yeah, this was the ER doctor. Okay. okay. Um, and I was also having really severe abdominal pain. Um, I told the doctor it was worse than having a baby without an epidural.
2: Sure.
1: Um, so the doctor that was going to admit me came down to meet me in the ED and she was one of the intensivists, and I work with her at work all the time. Uh, so when she walked in, I told her, I was like, I wanted a lot of PCA. I want a continuous dose and a demand dose because I feel terrible. Right. Uh, so she was like, yep, like you got it. Whatever you need, like we're here to support you. Um, and that was something that continued throughout my entire stay was that the entire team was really supportive of me and everyone just felt awful um, for the situation that we were in. Uh, so wheeled up to the ICU. Uh, finally got some pain management and I was feeling a little bit better, but with all the narcotics and the infection, my memory is pretty foggy. I don't remember a lot of what happened that first night. I do remember having to say goodbye to my husband when visiting hours ended. And that was really hard. Yeah. And he's, it was really hard when he came back the next morning. He said that was the hardest thing he'd ever had to do because he wasn't sure if I was going to be alive the next time that he saw me. Oh my gosh. It was just difficult to be away from my husband, away from my baby, who at this point was just shy of a month old. Right. And I was so sick that my body stopped producing breast milk at all. I had been breastfeeding up until this point and I requested a pump and I couldn't even pump anything. Uh, I was My body was just too sick Mm -hmm. to even try. But I made it through that first night and my husband came back when visiting hours started in the morning. And I don't really, really remember a whole lot of that day Um, until that evening, the OB came into the room and I thought it was really weird because I'd already talked to one of the OBs that day. And, The docs don't usually come by that late in the evening. So I knew something was kind of off. Right. And the look on her face was very grim. So me and my husband grabbed each other's hand and like, you know, what's going on? Um, Talked to us and she said, I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. I want to be very honest with you. The swab of your vaginal discharge came back as group A beta stress. And we are like, okay, what does that mean? He's like, well, this is a infection that has a 50% mortality rate. And at this point, we would recommend that we rush you down to surgery now for an emergent hysterectomy. And at that point, our jaws just kind of dropped. Of course. Um, being told that you're a healthy 24-year-old prior to having this baby, you have a newborn at home and the chances of you dying within the next 24 hours are 50%. Was life-changing. Yes. Uh, So she said, we recommend that you have a hysterectomy right now. The other options would be trying to treat it just with antibiotics so you could keep your uterus but we don't recommend that due to the infection that you have. So me and my husband looked at each other and were like, you know, me being alive is more important than me having more babies in the future. So we decided to go ahead with surgery. So they had to get prepped, and we wanted to do a couple things before I went down for the surgery. Mm-hmm. Uh, I called my parents and told them what was going on. It was a really quick conversation, and it was really hard to tell my parents that I might die. Um, I also asked my mom if she could drive out here so that way someone could be home with a baby while me and my husband were in the hospital. Right. And she was happy to do so. She works remotely, so she was able to do that. So she's like, I can drive out right now. And I told her, no, mom, it's nine o'clock at night. Like, get some sleep and just come out in the morning. Um, But I told them I love them and hung up with them. We called my husband's parents and told them what was going on. And um, they were staying with the baby at this point at our house. That way my husband could be at the hospital with me. And baby was not allowed to be at the hospital this time. And then I wrote up an advanced directive quickly because I wanted to be able to have a say in my choices if things didn't go right. Right. And I also um, recorded some voice messages, um, one for my husband and one for Oleander. So that way, if I didn't make it through surgery, they would at least be able to hear my voice. Oh, my God. So, uh, lots of emotions still.
0: Yes, Absolutely.
1: So after about an hour of us making phone calls and getting stuff arranged, um, they wheeled me down to pre-op. My husband he was able to come down and at this point, visitation hours were over, but they told him, you know, you're know, you more than welcome to stay tonight. Um, we're not gonna kick you out. We're making exceptions um, for you. So he was able to stay thankfully so he didn't have to go drive home while I was in surgery. Right. Uh, and they were able to, they told me that they would open me up and see if they could um, look at my uterus and see what it looked like. And if it looked okay, then they might be able to leave it. And if it didn't look okay, then they were going to take it out. Uh, so they took me back to surgery and got me prepped. I don't remember any of it. At this point, after they wheeled me down the pre-op, I didn't remember any of it except for saying goodbye to my husband and a lot of different staff that I work with at the hospital um, came down to wish me good luck, which was really appreciative. I really appreciated it in the moment, but also seeing how grim their faces looked, it just kind of really put it into perspective how sick I was, Um, but it was really nice to have everyone's support. Uh, with the COVID visiting restrictions, it was really hard mm-hmm. to just have my husband there and not have the support of the rest of my family. Um, so having my work family there was really nice. They took me back to surgery, and then after surgery, they took me back up to the ICU um, to recover. And I woke up to where I can remember a couple hours later, and the first thing I asked was, do I have a uterus? Mm-hmm. So they weren't sure if they were going to take it out or not. and my husband was there and he's like, no, you don't. They took out your uterus and your cervix, um, but they were able to leave your ovaries. So I do still have my ovaries. so I didn't go through menopause. And if we wanted to pursue IVF in the future with a surrogate, we could, Right, which I was happy to hear that they were able to leave my ovaries, um, but they removed over a liter of pus from my abdomen oh my God. as well as my uterus and cervix so that was a lot to process and having a big abdominal surgery while still trying to recover from delivering a baby was a lot to physically manage Um, so I spent four days in the ICU and then I was able to downgrade to a regular floor And continue to try and work on recovering. Um, I hadn't left my bed in three days, so trying to walk again was a lot of work. I had to use a walker. Um, It was really, um, I can't even think of a great word. It was really humbling to Mm -hmm. go through what so many of my patients go through. Um, I really put a lot of my nursing care into perspective Mm -hmm. and. I had a lot of grace for what they go through because I was going through it myself. Right. I wasn't able to eat for that entire hospital stay. Um, so I was very weak, very, very tired, very sore all over. But after a week, I was able to finally discharge home, which I was so excited to go home and see my baby because I hadn't seen him in a week at that point. So I got home. I was still feeling pretty terrible, very weak. I couldn't even lift my baby. I had to sit on the couch and have someone put him in my arms so I could hold him. Um, it was really hard. I just wanted to be a mom, yeah. and I wasn't able to do that.
2: Right.
1: So I wasn't even home for 24 hours, and suddenly I was starting to have very sharp abdominal pain again. So went back to the ER, had another CAT scan, and it turns out I had pancreatitis and a bunch of fluid in my abdomen. Oh,
2: my God.
1: So I had to have a paracentesis and get drained, get all the fluid drained out of my abdomen, and I got readmitted to the hospital to make sure it wasn't an infection in my abdomen on top of the previous infection that I had already had, as well as to treat the pancreatitis that I now had. So this hospital stay was another week of being in the hospital without my baby. And that was really hard to be away from him after being away from him for a week beforehand. But at this point, it was starting to get nice out. We live in Minnesota, so it had been pretty chilly. Um, But it was nice enough out that my mom was able to bring him to visit and we were able to sit outside and visit with each other so I could at least hold him for a little bit, which was really nice. But again, really hard to be away from him. And my husband could only visit during visiting hours, but he is phenomenal. He was there from sunup to sundown until they would kick him out at night. Yeah and my mom and our in my in-laws were pretty much running our household and taking care of the baby so me and my husband could focus on getting me healthy and getting me better so i could come home um so i was in the hospital for a week that time the second time well i guess third time <laughs> uh, i had three hospital stays mm-hmm. after my delivery so i was in for a week Continued to rehab, um, was finally able to eat something, which was so nice, even if it was hospital food. It was so nice to finally be able to eat something after two weeks of not being able to. And I discharged home and finally was able to stay home with my family, which was one of the best feelings that I could have.
0: Oh my goodness. I That is just a lot, a lot. Head over to the app store today, search family album, it's all one word, download the app and start creating a legacy of love, one photo at a time. How are you doing now?
1: Yeah, so it has been probably about three or four weeks at home, Uh, it's about three weeks at home of, again, still being really weak. I couldn't take the dogs for a walk, which was something that I really enjoyed and they really enjoyed and I just felt a lot of guilt for not being able to do that with the dogs and I felt a lot of guilt for not being able to do stuff around the house my mom was awesome and she stayed for another week and a half after I discharged from the hospital just so I could continue recovering so she did all the cooking and cleaning and did a lot of taking care of the baby my husband had taken two weeks of unpaid leave from work so he could spend it in the hospital with me and so he had to go back to work and it was just a lot of weird transitioning when we really just wanted to be a family learning how to take care of our baby and uh, spend time together right right but after about three weeks of being home i was starting to feel more physically capable and was able to help start doing stuff around the house. And I was able to fully take care of the baby at this point, uh, which was really nice just because I felt a lot of mom guilt for missing two weeks of his life at this point. Um, And now I am not back to where I was with my fitness. pre-delivery, I would say I was probably more in shape at 39 weeks pregnant than I am now. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm able to walk the dogs and um, take care of the house and all the cooking and cleaning. And I finally got cleared by all of my different medical teams that were following me in the hospital. Uh, And I feel like life is getting more normal. We're able to just be a family. I'm able to be a mom. Mm-hmm. And normal feels so good. It is crazy how after knowing that you might not even get to live to see the next day, how wonderful normal feels.
0: I, I can only imagine. And then how is this impacting like your maternity leave? Do you have to think about work and going back to work
1: anytime soon? Uh, So thankfully, my hospital is a pretty good hospital to work for as a nurse. Um, We are given up to a year of maternity leave if we want it. Nice. Um, It's unpaid, but able to take up to a year. So I had planned to do about three and a half months of maternity leave, uh, but with everything that I went through with my hospitalizations, the doctors said it'd probably be a three month recovery for me to get back to where I was physically beforehand Um, and with my job it's very physically demanding being on your feet for Mm -hmm. 12 hours and taking care of patients that are fully dependent on you for all the cares.
0: I mean ICU nurses run the ICU so.
1: Yeah it's a it's a lot of physical demands Mm -hmm. at work so I was able to extend my maternity leave another month so thankfully, I don't have to think about going back to work quite yet. Okay. And I'm able to at least spend some of my maternity leave at home rather than in the hospital. Sure. I joked with my boss that I spent more of my maternity leave in the hospital than I did uh, beforehand. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And it's, I'm glad that you don't have to worry about you all are able to, I'm assuming, handle the financial piece as well, because that can be challenging if it's unpaid.
1: Yeah, it is yeah. challenging. And it was a big stressor, but we were able to get it figured out. And our bosses, our co-workers, our friends and family have been phenomenal and instrumental on us getting through this. When they say it takes a community to raise a baby, they are not kidding.
0: 100%. 100%. And then how are you dealing mentally and emotionally, if you don't mind me asking?
1: Yeah, I am very open to talking about that because It was really difficult, and I hope that other people don't have to go through it. But having a stressful postpartum period was difficult and exhausting. Mm -hmm. So, I am happy to share my story so that way other people that feel like they're having a difficult time feel validated in their feelings. Um, Mentally, it was really difficult knowing all of the details of what was going on while i was in the hospital Mm -hmm. Um, you know looking at my medications looking at my vitals it was really difficult having so much knowledge about what i was going through yeah and having the guilt of not being at home taking care of my family was really hard for me to go through physically I'm getting there. And then emotionally, it was a really traumatic experience. Um, me and my husband are seeing a therapist uh, to try and help us process through everything that we went through.
0: Mm-hmm. Did you just find that on your own or did the medical system help you? Because I feel like the medical community is terrible about helping people in these situations. We just don't know how to do a very good job of it.
1: Yeah. So we had. Asked one of the social or asked one of the nurses to get us in contact with a social worker at the hospital because we knew we were going to want to see a therapist mm-hmm. after discharging and just to help us process through mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. And they were really great. They brought us a big list of different um, therapists in the area, and they tried hard. But the first therapist that I tried to call the call is disconnected or the number wasn't even active. The business had been out of business for the last three years. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So they put in efforts,
0: but it wasn't really that helpful. It it wasn't, you have to, I mean, it's a shame. And and sadly, we both know being in the medical profession, how sadly, unfortunately that happens way more than it should.
1: Yes. Way more than it should. Yeah. Um, But, we were able to find one that's close to home and we enjoy seeing. Um, So we were able to do that on our own and have been doing that together.
0: Okay. Okay. And do you feel like you've had the support from your, from the medical community in general in your recovery and just throughout the process? Is there anything that you feel like you wish was different?
1: Um, I wish that I would have had more confidence in standing up for myself Prior to the second hospitalization and third hospitalization, because I always felt really rushed whenever I was seeing my OB. Mm. Um, And I feel like stuff could have gotten addressed earlier and maybe not have had severe consequences if it would have been addressed earlier. But I always just felt rushed whenever I was seeing any of the physicians. Um, Like they just didn't have the time to sit and talk with me. Gotcha. Gotcha. oh, so
0: i I just i I mean, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on to share your story because this is still fresh for you um, yeah. uh, that this that this happened. So I'm incredibly grateful for you sharing your experience. If you had to pick one piece of advice that you would tell other women what what would that be?
1: Um, definitely, definitely educate yourself and don't let people tell you that everything is normal. Um, I had mentioned my abdominal pain, my perineal pain multiple times to my OB team, and I like, oh yeah, it's just normal, it's just normal postpartum stuff. And I felt like it wasn't normal and I felt like I wasn't getting the validation or the treatment that I needed. Sure.
0: Did they look and make sure things looked
1: okay? Some physicians did, some didn't. Okay. my um, one week follow-up for my first hospitalization, um, I had the nurse had me undressed from the waist down, so that way the physician could do an exam. And she's like, oh, based on talking to you, I feel like I don't even need to do one. Okay, call us if you have any questions. And it just felt like things were really rushed and the physicians didn't take the time Mm -hmm. to listen to my concerns. Mm -hmm. But my biggest advice is educate yourself so that way you know what normal is and don't be afraid to stand up for yourself if something doesn't feel normal or doesn't feel right because things could be wrong. There's a lot of different postpartum complications that exist and sadly our mortality rate in the u.s is unnecessarily high yeah. so don't be afraid to stand up for yourself
0: absolutely well thank you so much i don't know are you um on social media or connecting with if you can say no if you don't um have any public facing sort of stuff i just always offer people the option
1: yeah i'm on facebook and instagram on facebook um it's just my first and last name hannah Fenchhorn. And then on Instagram, it's Hannah15bananas. Okay. And I'm happy to talk with anyone that'd like to talk about anything.
0: Awesome. And we'll link that in the show notes. Well, again, thank you so much, Hannah. I so appreciate you coming on.
1: Thank you.
0: Thank you again, Hannah, for sharing your birth story. That was really, really powerful. Now, you know, after every episode, when I have a guest, I do something called Nicole's Notes, where I do my top takeaways from the episode and conversation. Here are my Nicole's Notes for my conversation with Hannah, and I actually have several for this Nicole's Notes. I just want to tell you a little tiny bit more about group A streptococcus. So it's a bacterial infection. It's not common. Um, The incidence of postpartum infection is roughly six per 100,000 live births. Group A streptococcus is much worse in pregnant people compared to non-pregnant people. So the attack rate of invasive group A streptococcus is 20-fold higher for pregnant and postpartum women compared with non-pregnant women. We're not exactly sure why that's the case. We think maybe it's related to the immune system in pregnancy. For women that have pregnancy-related group A streptococcus infection, 85% or more occurs postpartum. And the mortality rate is indeed 50%. Some risk factors for pregnancy-related group A streptococcus are upper respiratory tract infection with um, group A strep, like it could be like from strep throat. Also, premature rupture of membranes, and actually contact with young children during pregnancy may also be a risk factor for maternal group A streptococcus. But that is something that's still under, under study. The treatment for this infection is um, antibiotics and hysterectomy. Okay, so point number two, this is an example of where modern medicine really shines. I know there are some issues with medical care in the U.S. around pregnancy and birth but this is where modern medicine shines with ICUs, intensive care units, um, prompt recognition and treatment of severe conditions, antibiotic use, surgery being available right away. This is where modern medicine can make a difference and can save lives. 100 years ago, or even 60 or 70 years ago, this would have been fatal because we just didn't have the same things to treat it and recognize it. So again, this is just an example where modern medicine shines. All right, point number three is that it can be tempting for someone to say, like, well, just be happy that you and your baby are alive. Listen, F that, okay? It is completely okay if you're not happy with your experience, even if you and your baby make it out physically well. Just making it out alive is the bare minimum for your birth. Now, obviously, this is an extreme example with Hannah, and I think, you know, I would hope no one would say something as ridiculous as you should just be happy that you and your baby are alive, but sometimes people will say that when they perceive or make judgments about your experience that, oh, maybe it wasn't that bad kind of thing. And I wanna be clear that it's okay if you're not happy with your birth. Um, You can both be happy that you and your baby are alive and not be happy with your experience. The key is to not let that detract from motherhood. Um, You may need to take some time to process what you felt about your birth, but let's not buy into that, just be happy that you and your baby are okay. Okay, number four is if something is not right, please, please, you must speak up until you have answers, whether that's during your pregnancy or your birth or at any point really for your health. Hannah is so right that things are rushed in our medical system. Physicians don't have enough time or don't spend enough time to spend with patients. I can say that from the physician perspective, there's certainly some pressure in terms of like administration to see as many patients as possible in the least amount of, of time. I'm not saying that that's an excuse, but I'm saying that that's the reality of the business piece of medicine. It's something that physicians are trying to work on changing. So I say all that to say, if something's not right, you have to continue to speak up until you have answers. It can truly be a life or death situation. And then the final thing I want to tell you is that I have a free guide that you can download on warning signs to look out for after birth. Roughly 60% of maternal mortality actually happens after birth. So you want to grab these warning signs so you can be on the lookout for things to be mindful of. It's just a one-page sheet. You can print it out, you know, stick it on your refrigerator, just have it nearby. You can grab that free guide at Dr. rankins.com forward slash warning signs. And then I go even deeper into those warning signs inside the birth preparation course with a more detailed explanation. And the birth preparation course is at drnicolerankins.com forward slash role, enroll where you can find out the details there. All right, so there you have it. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and the Apple podcast or wherever you're listening to me right now. I'd also love it if you leave a review in Apple podcast in particular, helps the show to grow, helps other women to find the show. And do check out that free guide for sure, drnicholerankins.com forward slash warning signs. And if you want a more in depth review, check out the birth preparation course. There's, of course, more information in the birth preparation course, it gets you calm, confident, and empowered to have a beautiful birth. By helping you have a calm and peaceful mind, you learn all the details of what happens in your body during labor, birth, and the postpartum period, and you also learn how to advocate for yourself. You can get all the details of the birth preparation course at drnicolerankins.com forward slash enroll. All right, so that's it for this episode. Come on back next week. And until then, I wish you a beautiful pregnancy and birth. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the All About Pregnancy and Birth podcast. Head to my website, DrNicoleRankins.com to get even more great information, including free downloadable resources on how to manage pain and labor and warning signs to look out for after birth. You'll also find information on my free online class on how to make a birth plan that works as well as everything you need to know about my signature online childbirth education class, the birth preparation course. Again, that's DrNicoleRankins.com and I will see you
3: next week.